thank you for those uh, worship songs. Um, if you can't preach after singing that, then you just can't preach. <laughs> um, let's pray together. Father, what a message we just sang together. You're the Redeemer of our ruined lives through the death and the resurrection of Your Son. And Father, we think of those tonight who know what it is to have many tears and few comforts. And they're perplexed. They don't understand what You're doing. And they truly wonder whether any good will come. We pray that You would give them good hope through Your Word. May they fix their eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the anchor of our faith. We now pray for the help of Your Holy Spirit as we continue tonight and we pray for grace to hear and we commit the time to You in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the different phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes starting with the main one, which is Havel. And the reason we know it is the main one is because the way the book starts, Havel of Havels, Havel of Havels. All, everything is Havel. That is one of the most comprehensive statements. We'll look at it in more detail tomorrow as we dig into chapter 1. But we looked at that word Havel. We looked at the word chasing the wind. And now we come to another phrase that we see in the book, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is also crucial. And that is this little phrase, under the sun. I, I mentioned in the previous session that Oftentimes, that little phrase, under the sun, has, has sort of taken on the idea of, of life without God. And what I want to say is that life under the sun is just life. Everybody lives life under the sun. It is not, Solomon's not presenting some sort of antithesis for us of life under the sun or life above it, but rather under the sun is just, is just taken as ground level life. Where, where, where everything is a vapor. Life under the sun is an ordinary life that oftentimes is filled with dark clouds and mysteries. It's not life without God, it's just life. Short life, hard life, life as a gift. One Old Testament scholar, I remember reading an article from him many years ago on Ecclesiastes, and he said that this phrase, life under the sun captures something for all of us. And that is, it captures the notion of life in your death row cell. That'll cheer you up. Life in your death row cell. 
It's the life that everybody has. It's the life that's going to end. It is just life. And so as we move along, there's another word that Solomon is really fond of, and that is the term labor. Now, how many of you labor? Okay, how many of you work? <laughs> right, so, so if you read your Bibles, does God create work before the fall or after the fall? Before the fall, which means that work or labor is good, right? So, by the way, this is a message that our culture desperately needs to hear, okay? Handouts are not good, work is good, okay? Paul says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, all right? That probably won't be the next presidential motto, okay? But it's just true. So, so there's a dignity to work, there's a nobility to work, and does the fall impact work? And the answer is yes. It, it profoundly impacts work, and what the fall does is the fall, in a sense, takes work and takes it in its dignity and its nobility, and it turns it into Toil. There's a difference between work that has dignity and toil. Toil, in fact, this is implied in the word that Solomon uses. Toil has with it the idea of, of drudgery. You ever have that sense? It's the same old thing. Stay-at-home moms. It is um, diapers. Okay, changing diapers. Don't you wish there was a like a goal, <laughs> some profit? Um, no, it's change the diaper, feed the baby, change the diaper, feed the baby. Okay? Or it's like laundry. Okay? Now I'm just going to make, uh, Ariel's going to make a confession right now, and that is she hates to do laundry. Okay? And she really hated it when all of our kids were at home. Why? Because there was always laundry. She was like, can they make disposable clothes for nine and ten year old boys, right? You wash the clothes, they get them dirty. You wash the clothes, you dry the clothes, you fold the clothes. They wear the clothes, they destroy the clothes. You try to wash the clothes again, right? It's this endless cycle. There's a sense of drudgery to it, right? My dad worked at UPS for 38 years. He'd get to work, he'd clock in, he'd get in his, his truck, he would take two trailers down to Kettleman City, turn around, pick up two trailers, bring them back to Sacramento. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for 38 years. Drudgery. Toil. Sometimes labor after the fall seems like this. Dig that hole. 
Dig, dig, dig. Next day. Next assignment. Fill that hole. That's what work seems like at times. You do the same old thing over and over. And so, in a sense, when Solomon uses this term labor or work, what he's talking about is he's talking about, in a sense, the dark side of labor, the grievous and sometimes or oftentimes unfulfilling aspects of work. Now, do you ever feel that way? Or is your job so super fulfilling that you're like, Lord, this is heaven to me. (laughs) Solomon's going to wrestle with that. And here's what he's going to wrestle with. My life's a vapor. And I spend my best years toiling. For what? Well, that brings us to the next word, which is the word advantage or profit. And when Solomon uses this, and we'll look at this more in detail tomorrow, but when Solomon uses this word, he, he's, he's going to want to know what profit or what advantage do I get in my labor? What advantage do I get in wisdom? In other words, what remains after all of our work? Or what advantage is there in being wise? The, the question, by the way, when he asks it in chapter 1 and verse 3, what is the advantage or what is the profit that man has in all of the work which he does under the sun? The, the idea is not in a sense that a commercial term like what's the bottom line am am I in the black how much profit is there but it's also not a meaning of life question it's a question that just basically goes like this man's life is incredibly short it's a transient life I know that I have an innate sense of dignity in my work and value in my work but the fact is is that I look at it in my short life and I ask myself at times what's the point? What's left over after I spend my very best years? I mean, how many times have you ever heard the story of somebody that's worked so hard their whole life and um, in fact we have a a neighbor and he... um, kind of kept to himself and he retired and what was it, maybe like two weeks after he retired, he drops dead. You go, what's the point? And so you have under the sun, you have um, you have profit, labor, and then you have a whole host of words that are all related to each other that are that are words like this. Gift, good, reward, joy, rejoice. Right? And so these words, by the way, so so again, going back to that idea, I pick up this piece and go, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. Solomon is going to say plenty of times that this life that we have from God is a gift and we are required to enjoy it. It is good. In fact, sometimes our translations will say something like this, um, I saw nothing better, and, and the, the Hebrew text just simply reads, I saw the good that a man should do this, this, and this. And so here is this book 
that Solomon is, is he's wrestling with the stuff that you and I wrestle with. Aren't you thankful for God's Word? Aren't you thankful that we don't have a, 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 an inspired book that is just filled with, with meaningless religious platitudes? We have a book that actually gets down under our skin, penetrates our heart, rattles around in our minds, makes us to think, and resonates with where we live life. And here we are, 3,000 years after Ecclesiastes is written, and it is just as relevant today as when it came off of Solomon's pen. Now, we're going to put the, the corners together real quick. All right? So, I hope real quick. 8.30, right Warren? A little more, okay. Thank you. (laughs) You need an elder like Warren. Okay, because if everybody was like you, nobody would go home. Okay? All right. So, so what we're going to do is tomorrow, the, the first session, we're going to look at chapter 1. Alright? So we'll get into that tomorrow. But you have chapter 1 and then you have chapter 2. And chapter 2 is sort of this um, famous um, chapter that looks like Solomon just says, I pulled out all the stops and I, I started building stuff and I started achieving stuff and I started enjoying uh, wine, women and song and all of this. And then at the end of that, he makes some conclusions. Let me, let me just say real quickly what Solomon is doing in chapter 2. All right? It, Solomon's pursuit in chapter 2 is not some sort of unbridled hedonism where he's just pursuing pleasure for the sake of pleasure. Yeah? What he's doing is he's wrestling with the monotony of life and the havel of life and he's wondering, are there, are there things in life that you can pursue that in a sense mitigate the pain of Havel. Okay, that's what he's doing. And so, when he, in in a sense, it's an experiment on his part. But one of the main features that we we often join, uh, we often jump to, um, you know, in the pleasures of men, many concubines, and um, if I ever get this uh, commentary done, I think that there's a better way to understand the text than that. But just... We jump to those passages, but understand there's something about chapter 2 that looks like this. I poured myself into achievement. I poured myself into building the best. The best gardens, the best architecture, the best irrigation systems, you name it. I excelled in all of it so that I looked at, I looked at life and I thought to myself, if I just have enough achievements under my belt, if I just am enabled through those achievements to enjoy the pleasures of life, maybe the havel of life won't be that bad. And at the end of it, 
What Solomon discovers is that all of his achievements are Havel and the pleasures themselves are Havel. And at the end of the day, you can't cure Havel with Havel. So this is why, for instance, people people who who try to um, escape in this life, right? And maybe it's the escape of throwing themselves in to, to work in a way that, that they end up just losing the people around them. Or, or maybe they throw themselves in to escape through, um, you know, better living through chemistry. And they give themselves to drugs or to alcohol. And they're trying to escape something in this life. And what they realize then is that the very escape that they thought would bring them some pleasure and some relief in this life is itself a breath. First corner piece of the puzzle. Look at chapter 2 and verse 24. Well, let's back up just a smidge. Since I was told I have more time. (laughs) So let's start at verse 18. So this is, remember I said previously, he has these observations and he shares the observations, he shares the pain of his observations, but then he ultimately turns around and instructs us about God. Alright? So notice verse 18. 218. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored. Literally, I hated all the fruit of my toil for which I had toiled under the sun for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Right? So, so pain number one. I'm going to die and all my achievements are going to go to somebody who didn't work for them. Will they appreciate them? Not like I did. Did they earn them? Not like I did. I hated life. I pour myself in and then realize I need to leave it to Junior and Junior, frankly, is just an idiot. Verse 19... That's, that's an alternative reading. <laughs> and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control. He'll, actually, he'll have dominion. He'll be ruling the kingdom that I left. He will have control or dominion over all the fruit of my labor for which I labored by acting wisely under the sun. This also, it's a vapor. Verse 20, Therefore I completely despaired of all of the fruit of my toil for which I had toiled under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy or his share, his portion, to the one who has not labored with him. This too is vapor and a great evil. For what does man get in all of his Toil and in his striving with which he labors under the sun because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his heart doesn't rest. This too is Havel. So just understand, 
This passage, Solomon is sort of bringing his first two chapters of conclusion into perspective and he's making the very, very clear observation that at the end of the day, everything for which I have labored, I end up having to leave it to somebody else, but there's something worse than that. And that is when I look at life as an achievement, something to be accomplished, something to be gained, as I look at life in in terms, not in terms of gift, but in terms of achievement, I realize that's a lousy job. And it's a lousy job because I'm so consumed with accomplishment that I can't even rest my mind at night. If you view life as achievement, by the way, you can view your kids as achievement, you can view your career as achievement, you can even view your hobbies as achievement, right? It's that which I do. It's that which I labored for. It's that which I've accumulated. The fact is, is if that's your life, you have a hard time going to sleep at night because you're always thinking of how to get more. Solomon says this this is a grievous and it's a painful task, and it's vapor. Now, verse 24 is the first corner of the jigsaw puzzle. You go, we found the corner piece. Reminder, the corner piece doesn't come until the end of chapter 2, which means Solomon has been more than happy to let us suffer for two chapters. Verse 24, there is nothing better, that's the good, right? There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? For to a person who is good in his sight, that's a person that has received his favor, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he's given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. This also is vanity and trying to rope the wind. Now, here's the beautiful thing about 24 to 26. He identifies the grievous task. He identifies the the frustration of looking at life as accomplishment. And he says, this is what I've found is the good. To eat and to drink and to remind yourself that what God's called you to do is good. In other words, to shift from life as achievement and accumulation to the perspective of life as gift changes the way that you view everything. So if you look at life as a gift, all of a sudden the food that you have to eat tastes better. Right? It is, it's a gift. That which God's given you to drink is something that you can receive with gratitude. And then you can turn around and let's just say for sake of argument that your job is to dig a hole on Monday and fill it up on Tuesday. 
Solomon says, when you start to see, hey, God gave you that gift. I have no idea why, but it's the gift. And if you receive it as a gift instead of achievement, what achievement do you have? A full hole or an empty hole? Come on. And so, so once you start to receive that as a gift, all of a sudden life begins, life begins to get better. There's something better about looking at life as a gift. And you can go and, and let's say let's say you have this is where I get into trouble. When I think of like a drudgery job, I think of like a mailman. Okay? So my dad was a UPS man, so he taught us to hate the mailman. Alright? So if you're a delivery guy or a mail carrier, you know, forgive me. But to me, I think like the worst job in the world would be like taking junk mail to people's houses knowing that they're going to turn around and throw away almost everything that you've just delivered. You know, you walk 80,000 steps in a day and you take their mail and they look at it and throw it away. And so that's drudgery. With, with, <laughs> with life as a gift... You can go to work with a grateful heart and thank God for what He's called you to do. That means you can deliver junk mail to the glory of God. That means you can change diapers to the glory of God. That means you can do laundry to the glory of God. Now, I don't want to rob you of your joy, so... Now, so, so here's Solomon. So you start to see now, right, how this instruction is, is forming a corner piece. And then he says, you have to see it's from the hand of God. You have to see it as a gift. Is raising kids hard? The answer is, yeah, it's hard. It's hard work, right? It's hard work for moms. It's hard work for dads. But guess what? It's a gift and it's a vapor. Boy, wouldn't you give just about anything to have them be ten again? The answer is no. That would be utterly ridiculous. Verse 25. Solomon asks this rhetorical question, right? For who can eat and who... Notice this. Who can have enjoyment without Him? Who can enjoy their food without acknowledging that it's a gift from God? Who, who can enjoy life by ignoring the God who gave it? And then this is where the peaches and the can opener come in. Verse 26. For to a person who's good in his sight, he's given wisdom and knowledge and joy. 
While to the sinner he's given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who's good in God's sight. This too is havel, it's vapor, and it's striving after the wind. And so here it is. God's given the can of peaches to the believer, to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever. He says, gather more peaches and then give them to the believer. And to the believer he goes, hey, here's a can opener, enjoy them. When we start to see that every day is a gift from God, you are empowered to enjoy it like never before. Now, there are other corner pieces, all right? And... We're going to look uh, sometime tomorrow at chapter 3, and then there's a big corner piece in chapter 3, then there's a big corner piece at the end of chapter 5, and then uh, you have another corner piece in chapter 8. And let me just, I don't know if we'll get to this or not, but let me just say, this is how realistic Solomon is in this book. After his wonderful poem on, on there's an appointed season for every event under heaven, which I'm going to argue tomorrow is one of the most profound statements on the sovereignty of God that you can read in Scripture. Okay, He's going to give counsel on how to live life knowing that you know God has a plan but not knowing what the plan is. Alright? And then, the end of chapter 3, throughout chapter 4, Picking up again in chapter 5 after a section on worship, which we'll, we might look at too. Who knows? We'll be here maybe till through the week. All right? <laughs> but then he picks up again in chapter 6 and he, he's dealing with things like greed. Chapter 3, oppression, injustice, loneliness. Working in a way that you destroy all your relationships. All of those things that Solomon brings up in 3, 4, 5, and 6 are all threats to enjoying the gift. Okay? They're all threats to enjoying the gift. Because he's a realist, he wants you to understand. Listen. Yes, there are things that can that can ruin the gift. There are things that can suck the joy out of your life. And he gives us godly counsel on how to deal with those things. And so here is, in a very real sense, this, this picture that's unfolding for us. And so Solomon goes along. He causes us to agonize. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Or do you guys just like go to Dollywood? Okay, so we took our kids to Disneyland before they were all woke and stuff. They were little. And my my kids want us to go on the Indiana Jones ride. Indiana Jones Adventure. If you've been to been to Disneyland, you will know this is the worst ride ever invented for any theme park ever. Right? So you're supposed to be Indiana Jones going through this this tunnel. And the problem is, 
is that the whole ride is designed to give you whiplash and to and to herniate every disc in your back. Okay? So what the ride does is you start off and it, you start off and it jerks your head back <clears throat> and then you think you're going to go right and all of a sudden it turns left and your head goes over that way and the kids are like, "Oh, this is so fun." And then it stops suddenly and then you're like, "Oh no, that was like L5S1." And <clears throat> Then it starts up again, and by the time you're done, all you can think of is, Lord, thank you that it's over. And then one of your less bright kids said, can we do it again? What Solomon wants to do is he wants to put you on that ride. And he wants to give you whiplash. And he wants to jerk you left and jerk you right and stop and start and mess you up. Because he wants you to feel the pain. You will not appreciate the remedy unless you feel the pain. And so, as he goes through these passages, he's going to have this gritty realism that is, that, that is just caused to just shake you up, to grab you by the lapels at times, and shake you, and just remind you that, yeah, there are things in this life that are awful. But at the end of the day, you can trust the God who's over the good and the bad. Now, we're not going to look at all the the corner pieces. In fact, we're going to kind of wrap it up because I, I do want to respect the nursery workers and there's nothing worse than angry nursery workers. <laughs> yeah, that's they, they smile and on the inside they're praying imprecatory psalms against you. Lord, cut his tongue out of his mouth. (laughs) So Solomon gets to this first conclusion. And and what's going to happen is he's going to build on it. But he's not going to say anything that's radically different from what he says right at the beginning. And what he wants us to see is that there can be joy in life even in the midst of Havel. Joy does not come from achievement, nor does it come from unraveling the mystery, nor does it come from cheating death, 
Joy actually comes and it comes in truckloads once you recognize that life and everything that it contains is a gift from God. And so tomorrow we'll look at God of my good days and God of my bad days because He's sovereign over both. And even in the worst of our times, God is still good and there's still an anchor for enjoyment. Enjoyment in Ecclesiastes is not tied to the circumstances of life, it's tied to the God who is sovereign over all of life. And so the message is, enjoy this life. It's a gift to you. It's a short gift. You only get it once. And so keep keep the fear of the Lord foremost in your heart. Keep God's commandments. Recognize the Havel. Know your limitations. And you will, in fact, experience the advantage of vaporous life under the sun. One of the, one of the best Reformed theologians to come around in a long time since Mark Twain was, was Dirty Harry Callahan. Write that down, Scott. Dirty Harry makes this observation. It's simple. A man has got to know his limitations. Now, then he shot somebody, but we'll forget that part. (laughs) Solomon is going to say, you want to enjoy life? Know your limitations. Realize that you will never comprehend the incomprehensible. You will never exhaust the inexhaustible. You will never fathom the unfathomable. And it's okay. It's totally okay. Because what God calls you to do is not to figure out the mysteries, but to trust Him in the midst of a short life. And so, that day on that Oregon coast... I came to a realization. Do not clutch on to the passing chapters of life with a death grip because what you will do is you will rob yourself of the joy in the next chapter. If you as a parent spend most of your time as a parent bemoaning the fact that your children are growing, let me just let me just put your mind at ease. God designed them that way. There's God designed it in a way where you feed them and they grow. And your goal in life is not the achievement of having little kids forever. The task that God has given you to do is to raise them to be adults. Right? And if all you do is just say, Oh, I can't believe it. They're growing so fast. I don't even know what to do. And you just spend all your time looking at the pictures on your phone while the kid's over there sticking a fork in the light socket. You are actually failing as a parent. And so, the thing thing is, is that 
those chapters are going to go by. Right? I hate the Dodgers. Okay? They are they're the evil empire of the West. But they had a legendary announcer, Vin Scully. And Vin actually was a was a pretty neat guy. And he announced Dodger games for like 68 years or something like that, right? It was just a really long time. And he finally retired. Now he's, he's gone now. But this is what he said. He said, don't be sad that it's over. Be glad that it happened. Right? I want to say there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in that. Just a tremendous amount of wisdom. I thank God for my kids. I thank God for I thank God for the early days of marriage. I thank God the early days of marriage are over. I thank God I thank God for for every chapter and those chapters are short and you just have to say, Thank you, Lord, for the gift. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the gift when they were when they were running all over the place. And thank you for the gift that when they started to grow. Thank you for the gift that they're now adults. Thank you for the gift that they're now having children. And and what that does is it empowers you to enjoy each chapter of life not being held hostage because of previous chapters over. I'd be completely negligent if I didn't remind all of us that in the midst of a really short life, all of us will stand before God and give an account for what we did with what He gave. He will bring every act into judgment. That's what Solomon says at the end of the book. Whether good or bad, this is this is this is the sum of it all. This applies to every person, and so every single one of us here have been given this this little blip on the screen called life as a gift. And every single one of us, that vapor will end when we breathe our last. And when you breathe your last, that life is then over. Completely over. And you will stand before the God with whom you have to do. And so the question will be, did you, in this vaporous life, make preparation for the life to come? Did you make preparation for giving account to Almighty God. And I want to say there's only one way to make that preparation. And that is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, who has no beginning and no end, and His works last forever. You trust in Him, and all of a sudden the perspective of life is sweetened by knowing Jesus Christ as the Savior of our ruined lives. Maybe you're older 
And maybe you think, you know what? Life is short, and that's been drilled home tonight, and I've wasted so much of it. Here's the glorious thing. You can stop wasting that vapor tonight. And you can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. You may only have a few more years left, maybe only a few more months. Only God knows, right? He's determined the day. But here's the reality, is that no matter what's gone previously in your life, the fact is, is that even right now, I can say to you with absolute confidence, today is the day of salvation. And so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your life and your labor will have meaning, significance, and joy like never before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each of these fleeting chapters of life that seem to go by so quickly. And Father, we pray that we're just able to just embrace them fully as gifts from your hand. And we pray, Father, even tonight as we, as we go back to our homes and we go back to the ordinary, we pray that we would see the stunning gift of the ordinary and that we would enjoy it and give you glory and realize that there's only one life and it will soon be passed. And Father, we pray that you would help us to live that life full of confidence in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.